Like if you want to get attention, you need to do things that can't be faked. So like you can fake fake cash like at a table, you can fake a Lamborghini, you can lease one. I would say try to go out there and do things that you can't fake, like destinations, like, you know, go on like really cool vacations and things like that, because people know that does take money. Um, when you get on stage and speak on stage at a big event, that can't be faked. So start thinking about things that create credibility that would not be able to be faked. A lot of people are trying to fake it till they make it, I guess, is kind of the thing. But, um... Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Connor Seibrook, a man who has built a organization of 2,750 agents under the EXP brand, the Wolfpack. He's got three YouTube channels, which are all crushing it and scaling. And I mean, like, I could spend the whole episode just doing the accolades and what he does. He's a fisherman, an online poker player, a competitive dude, so many great things. So we're going to dive into who is this man, why do you need to know him, and what can you learn from him? Connor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, I've been watching this thing from the sidelines, right? I've been at these other brokerages watching the EXP blow up, right? Probably maybe like some other people have been doing as well. But like, take us into it. Because not everybody that joins EXP can just grow it to 2,750 agents, right? There's skills, there's processes. So kind of walk us through like your, your growth journey. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think a lot of people think it's more of like a recruiting business. It's more of a training leadership and duplication business. So a lot of people are out there focusing on the individual frontline building a, a business like this. But um, what I did a little bit differently is I spent my time as an opportunity cost. I can either go out there and personally recruit agents or I can trade my time into attracting agents, train them how to train people to go out there and attract agents and build out leadership teams. <clears throat> so what I did was I tried to find early adopter markets like Canada, the Northeast, the Northwest. So I started identifying the markets that had the highest agent count per uh, small density uh, regions, but also the highest price points. And I related it to um, EXP's market share, total market share. And I watched those and tracked those over months to see which ones were growing the quickest, to see which were the most competitive. So I kind of picked out the Northeast, all across Canada were the kind of main go-to areas I wanted to go to. So I got a lot of agents up in New Jersey, Philly area, and then all across Canada. But um, I'm just trying to give you guys an understanding if you're trying to grow a large organization, especially a global business, it's not done by accident, it's done by intent, and it's done by creating uh, a specific strategy. And so sometimes I think people see things from an outside surf uh, you know, an outside perspective, and they create their own confirmation bias of what they believe is happening, but they don't really actually know what got it there. But um, there's really kind of, if you want to win in a business like the one I'm building, there's kind of like three levels. You know, first one, you have to learn how to attract agents yourself you because nobody comes in the system without your personal efforts but then you're going to run out of time money and effort i mean energy so what happens is you need to level two is training those partners that you brought in the ones that have the potential to go out there and recruit agents so that's level two and that's when you're developing your leadership skill sets and then level three is train those agents to train their agents to go out there and recruit agents now you've created businesses inside your business and that's really when the duplication kind of kicks in and that's when you can remove yourself kind of from the, uh, I say you retire yourself up into the next level, just like anything has a hierarchy, freshman, junior, soft, freshman, you know what I'm saying? Like high school, military from, you know, corporal to general. So you're learning a skill set and you're applying it and then you're understanding it so you can teach it later and then having your replacements come in and stepping into your position essentially. And then you're going to the next level to learn how to take it from, you know, zero to 50, 50 to like 500, 500 to 5,000, hopefully, and then kind of training people on the way to follow that path is really kind of what we've done. <clears throat> I could talk strategy all day. So I'm so glad we're going <laughs> down this road. 
So let's talk about the development of you as a person of strategy. So is this something where you read a lot of books? Was it a lot of failures? What was the vehicle to get you not only to a level of strategy that has led to this success, but like, it seems like you're very zoned in on exactly what it was about. Like you knew why you succeeded more than uh, maybe most would. Yeah. I mean, um, like the main thing is so like, whatever you guys want, figure out what you want and then study it aggressively. So like in the beginning of my career, I wanted to become wealthy. So what did I do? I studied Andrew Carnegie, uh, Vanderbilt, Henry Ford, all the big industrialists, the ones that kind of really built big businesses. So when I came into building EXP, I figured out, you know, okay, I understand what I'm building. It's an override model, seven tier structure. So if I want to do well at it, study those who have done well at it. So I reached, or, uh, I didn't reach out. I started following people like Patrick McDavid. So it's a PHP, uh, some of y'all know uh, PBD, built a big business. He also was at a company, I believe he is at WFG, which is, I was also at WFG at one point, I had right? my insurance license. <clears throat> and so studied him. I read a book called Building an Empire by Brian Carruthers and started find, following Eric Worre and a lot of the big network marketing leaders, even though what we're doing is not technically network marketing, very similar to that business model in a way. So I just started identifying the biggest names, incredible names that I'd heard through what I call the echo effect. I mean, you guys heard different ways of describing, describing echo effect, but if you're hearing experts drop name drop by different people in different areas and different regions, you can save a lot of time by trying to find who's kind of the authority in the industry. So I started finding the top people in the industry. And then what I did was, um, or top people just doing this globally. And then also with inside my company specifically, and then directly inside my personal upline, my direct partnership line. So inside the company, what I did was I was trying to find all the biggest team leaders, the ones that had already pulled off big organizations and just aggressively follow them in any way I could. I'd go to their YouTube channels. I'd start from the back, their first videos that they posted. So if you guys want to know when someone starts a YouTube channel, they're going to post their best content in the beginning because they're trying to get attention and, and get it off the ground. So I'd watch all their videos and then I go to the next one. So I watched all the biggest team leaders. And then what I did was I, uh, developed relationships with my partners that were way up in my organization structure uh, that would help me directly and mentor me directly. So I had information sources directly from my partners above me than just in general. Let, let me the break company. this out for a second, just to make sure I got this right. So watching these videos, the, the partners were these people you were watching their videos. Is that accurate? Uh, yes. So a lot of them have YouTube channels individually, just like I have, for example, like my Connor Steinberg channel. If you guys want to do this, just go to my channel, start from the beginning, watch every video. If you want to learn how to, you know, play baseball, go to baseball channel, start from the beginning, watch it all the way in. You want to learn how to go fishing, just whatever you want, aggressively consume information. And I think a lot of people spread out their uh, education process too much and they're trying to learn too many things. They're trying to learn marketing and raising money and social media all at once. Batch things down, let's say just social media, break it down to just YouTube and only focus on YouTube, but condense that time into a short window. Because what happens is when you aggressively educate and condense it into a short window, meaning like every day for a week or two, as compared to, let's say you did one day studying this and next week, one day, you're able to identify patterns. You're able to see congruencies in other people's work when you're looking at different people. It's going to give you a lot better um, ability to identify what's the most important uh, information because we're taking a risk with what we study because just because we're reading in a book or podcast, we have the risk to go apply it. And what if it's actually not going to work or not going to work for us? So <clears throat> I would just say, find the people that are doing what you want to do, figure out who's the most credible in the marketplace, look at the top of the industry and aggressively just follow them. If they've written books, watch them. If they've gone on podcasts, watch them. 
um, and then fi find everything you can with a certain individual. So this is what I did when I started my personal self-development journey. I found like Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rome, Bob Proctor, Les Brown, uh, you know, John Maxwell, all these guys. And I read all their books and watched every video I could find on the internet. And as soon as I kind of felt like I consumed everything that I could get from someone, I would go on to the next mentor. So you're going to have a combination of online mentors, meaning people that you won't know personally as a relationship, which is a very unique and cool thing that we have now because of social media and, and how the world's changed. And then you're going to have your direct in your personal environment, like your actual mentors that you are having relationships with. And both are very important. Um, but yes, it's success comes from the backside of education, implementation that fails, adjusting off of it, massive repetition and not losing your mindset on the way and showing up every day with strong work ethic and just focus the North star on that goal and never letting it go. And I think a lot of people get in their own mind and lose hope and faith and <clears throat> self-sabotage themselves because they start and stop too much. They'll put one week in really hard and then they'll take two weeks off or they'll put a month in and take a week off or they'll try to start three different businesses at the same time and they get spread, spread thin or they start to gain momentum and then they have a little bit of money coming in. Now, let me go try something else. Really, you just want to find one lane, stay in it and focus on it until you become successful with that first business because I slowed my career down by trying to do too many things all at once. Whereas I think you should build one successful business and then focus on building multiple streams of income around that one business. And then kind of op as doors open, just identifying which ones are the best ones to take as far as opportunities down the road. Vertical integration type stuff. Yep. So let's talk about implementation. So let's talk about the balance between you watch every video on somebody's channel, which for some guys like PBD now might take you a lifetime. Because uh, he's producing so much content yeah. <laughs> and action. So, how do you balance the the learning uh, time frame and the action time frame? I mean, you should do it immediately. I mean, like I like to usually what I'm studying is what I'm trying to learn at that moment and apply at that moment. So, let's say I'm trying to learn how to do YouTube videos and optimize them. Like as I'm doing it, I'm trying to you know implement it right away. <laughs> so, you learn through two different ways. You've got uh, knowledge and wisdom that comes from other people's experiences. Like, let's say I read a book or watch y'all watch this. And then you have street justice, which is the actual implementation process where it's never going to go the direct way you thought it was when you were learning it from the knowledge source. So what the knowledge side does in, in the case studies and stories and things that you've come across before is it builds up self-esteem and it builds up confidence enough to take a risk to try those things that you might not have otherwise, because you have enough faith that it's going to work because you've seen someone's story before yours, and then you're going to jump in. It's not going to work the way you thought but it's going to get you in the game where you may have never started going in the game in the first place. And now you adjust off that failure. So like, I think a lot of people are scared to fail. Like you're going to fail over and over and over way more than you succeed. But the faster you fail, the faster you're going to identify those patterns that work. And it's just a process of elimination of doing everything that doesn't work to figure out the few things that do work and rinsing, repeating and scaling them until they scale. So like a lot of people think, you know, entrepreneurship's about doing all these crazy things and having all these high level strategies. I mean, it's really kind of, it's not a sexy thing. A lot of times it's really finding a lot of hard work to sift through the few things that do work and just doing it over and over and over it. And, uh, can't just until you're the best at it essentially. So, I mean, people ask me like, why I don't do like vlogs? And it's like, people don't want to see someone sit in their office 12 to 14 hours a day and do, you know, training calls and, and things like that. It's not like people are thinking, <clears throat> but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurship is behind the scenes. Uh, a lot of times it's solitude and, uh, and kind of that's where we have the ability to focus and really kind of, um, 
really generate from inside of ourselves what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, it's not like you're always out there intermingling uh, with all these people. So like a lot of my businesses, like people, if they saw what I did was me, I guess people, what do they call it? Ghost mode or something like that, where they just kind of go behind the scenes. But it was just me in my room, basically working for years nonstop. And um, I didn't have a lot of friends at the time, not because I couldn't, I just chose not to, because I, it was a distraction. I wasn't going out to like parties. I wasn't, you know, doing what I did when I was young in the poker world. I, I made a massive commitment and I and I realized the fastest way to get to my goals is all day, every day. So if you really want to get there as fast as possible, as fast as possible, wake up today and tomorrow and the next day after that and put all the time in that you have as far as your energy levels and go to sleep and build off that momentum because momentum is really big in business that people don't talk enough about. But if you're not putting consistent daily focus and energy into what you're doing, you're never going to be, be able to build that momentum, but people recognize momentum. And once you have momentum, people follow momentum and they, you kind of cut through the crowd and they kind of pull behind you and follow you. So in the beginning, <clears throat> it's very hard to, let's say, get like a, a rocket ship or a plane off the ground, a lot of energy, a lot of intensity to get it off the ground. But once it has momentum, it's kind of sailing in the sky. It doesn't take a lot to keep it up there. So in the beginning, guys, aggressively push your effort and energy into your businesses and don't take a lot of time off, live way below your means, get that plane off the ground, get that rocket ship off the ground. And then if you need to take a break, you know, you can take a little, little breather then. But I think a lot of people um, take too much time off and they're too sporadic with what they're doing in the beginning of their businesses. Yeah, especially at the beginning. Now, you mentioned early on in the conversation about pursuing the high price points when you were targeting these team leaders. Was there a yep. particular reason that high price points mattered uh, to you? Yeah. So it's easier to, uh, so our compensation model that we have at our company is one in which, um, we cap at about $2.66 million in sales. So if you think about like a high end market in the Northeast or in California, average transaction may be 800,000 to 1.5 million. They're capping in two transactions, which max out the comp plan for what they're doing. And then as compared to like flyover country, um, you know, say you go to like Ohio or Nebraska or something like that, where you're kind of in those cash flow markets, they may have to do. 15, 20, 25 transactions to cap. And also um, in the Northeast, so EXP has got a really cool model in which we have like a unilateral cap, meaning all 50 states, it's an 80, 20, $16,000 cap. When you go to the uh, higher price point markets and you're trying to attract agents from franchising models, what happens is they're tied to brick and mortar, most of them, which means in the, in the higher price point markets, they're paying way more for the lease. The real estate costs way more. So it's way more expensive. So they have to, to you know, it's a lot more to run the business, but also, um, the agents are selling houses that are way more expensive as well. So it's kind of justified and rationalized. If that makes sense a little bit, they're selling higher price points. So it's okay for them to pay more into a system to like a 40 K cap or like a 32 K cap or something like that. So the big higher price point markets, you see a lot of times brokerages can have a, uh, a little bit stiffer cap and split. And so those markets when side by side in a comparison to what I'm selling as far as my product, which is a brokerage model, just matched up really well. When I'm recruiting to 16K cap and they're on like 34K caps and 40K caps, as compared to like a lot of the Southern markets and lower price point markets may be on like 18K caps or, you know, 26K caps or something like that. And it just makes it a little bit easier to do that. And then also in the beginning, I had a lot of relationships get off the ground, my local markets, and I had to develop relationships building these local teams. And I wanted to get into new markets and diversify because uh, we now have agents in all 50 states, every Canadian province and uh, like 14 different countries. And so 
I knew that in order to grow this and scale this big, I had to leverage the entire globe. This was going to be a global model. So I was planting seeds and growing, you know, <laughs> growing a cornfield up here and growing another one down here. And I was spreading out uh, where I was trying to build to get on the east, west coast, north, south, and all the main countries that opened up that had large populations of agents. But I think that's also what helped us <clears throat> a lot get a lot of market share growth because I think a lot of people stay geographically restricted in their growth strategies. And a lot of our, what we do is through social media. And I also trained the agents on social media. So we had a, a pretty, a larger footprint in a, in a bigger um, market share to go after, I guess, by doing it that way. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Can we talk about the model? So like my understanding so far is you, you watch their YouTube videos from backwards forwards. Is there like a, are you messaging them? There's a point like, what's the sales model to, to bring these people over? Yeah. I mean, uh, so like ESP has got a three income stream model. So there's three ways to make money in business in general, which is actively, which is time traded income that stops once time stops, which is flipping houses, wholesale nine to five job. Then you have equity models and you have residual income models. And so I've been teaching this for years. And when I saw EXP that had all three income streams, they have a cap and split production model. Then they have five different stock wards and they have residual income. I just realized that this was going to be, you know, a little bit unique, uh, as far as like, it, it, the agents had not seen this before. And I just realized that um, I was going to be able to grow this in a way a little bit different than I'd been doing other businesses with social media. And um, by reaching out to people with the stock words primarily, this was probably the main way that I would start conversations with people that um, most agents do not have ownership unless they're a broker traditionally. And in the beginning, you know, now it's getting more common where people are talking about, you know, new brokers just have op options to have ownership in them. But at the time that was kind of my approach. I'd reach out to a lot of the top producers and explain how our uh, icons icon program works, which is a $16,000 stock award where we get that back if they cap and do enough transactions after that. And then I was going after a lot of the high level uh, agents that also are investors and big investors in the country that had their licenses. And I was explaining the comparison of risk, scalability, capital allocation, and all the different things and relating how fast and how risky it was scaling a rental portfolio or doing it through like owner finance notes as compared to the revenue share. So I was also really focusing on trying to get to brokerages and team leaders 
explain them like risk mitigation and uh, having to avoid a lot of back-end management systems because eXp I really see as like a, a system that you can bolt on top of what you're already doing. <clears throat> so we did almost 10,000 houses last year, just a few hundred less. I didn't see a piece of paperwork. I didn't write a check. I didn't have to review anything. I carry no liability. I got my taxes done in minutes. I had no CPA bill because I got a 1099. And uh, when you go through that with brokers, I don't think they really understand from the surface looking at the eXp model because there's a lot of videos out there. Some people are brand new, shouldn't even post some videos and uh, come from more of an entrepreneurship perspective. But um, I think that's, you know, like how I originally was reaching out to people, mostly global opportunity, risk mitigation, equity ownership opportunities that didn't trad traditionally exist for them, and then how to build a residual income with your license. And, uh, and I have different presentations and different approaches. Obviously, each person is a different person. And so really, we sit down with whoever we talk to, and we go through a um, process where we gather data by figuring out who they are. So we ask them a series of questions, we go through pain questions, you know, what's going on at your current brokerage, why would you be even taking this call? What's the last thing your broker did to upset you, you know, things like that, because people move away from pain towards pleasure or better opportunities. We go through <clears throat> a series of questions and you guys can do this with any business that just replace what you're doing here. <clears throat> you want to get what they know about your product, service, or opportunity that you're selling. So for example, eXp, what do you know about Problem awareness, it? solution so awareness get, type stuff. Yeah. Yep. Pain questions, <clears throat> eXp. Yep. And then you want to future pace people. Um, when you're in sales, what are we selling? We're selling the future. So we're selling a product, okay. service, or opportunity. Yes. And uh, the only thing that matters in sales to get a conversion is if you can say, what I have for you here, that if you put up money or put up time or put up emotion to buy it, that your future is going to be better in one of these three ways. You're either going to increase your income, save money, or take less risk. <clears throat> you're going to free up time, think about Uber, get you there quicker, or you're going to have a more positive motion pattern and less stress. So we're selling emotion, time, and money, and we're selling it in the present, painting a picture that what we're selling is going to improve this in the future for one of these three areas. And if you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time converting sales. For, uh, <clears throat> it really doesn't matter what you're selling, but that's really kind of the the uh, secret to sales right there. And so when we talk about the marketing side of things, I mean, obviously earlier you mentioned the idea that you were training up people to market on your behalf, essentially through the through the downlines, but at the beginning you were probably doing it yourself, right? And so was the function of marketing, was it calls, reach outs, ads? Yeah, I mean, so like... You, you can grow a business in two different ways, proactive and re <clears throat> proactively and reactively. So like, um, like say you're using social media, proactive strategy would be your, your time, a one-to-one -one time unit relationship. I'm reaching out to someone on Facebook and saying, Hey man, I saw you're doing a lot of production. I want to reach out to you. That's a proactive. I'm reaching out. Whereas a reactive strategy is I'm filming a video with that same 15, 20 minutes posting on internet and I'm letting them react to me. Now, when you guys scale a business of any type, not just an override model like this, your job is to learn the skill sets and understand everything. So they can hear big companies, the guy used to sweep the floors and 20 years ago, and now he owns a company, right? So you need to understand the steps and the jobs and the roles that each person has on the way up so that you can teach it on the way down. And so the main mentality that you need to have is when you're having failures, struggles, wins, have the awareness as you're doing this, why did this win happen? Why did this loss happen? How do I avoid it in the future? How do I do it again in the future if it's positive or negative? And how can I do it in a way that's not special to me, that's not unique to me, where I'm not the only one that can do it? Can others do it? <clears throat> I think this is where a lot of people struggle in a model like we have, which is there's certain things that I could do specifically, having a large channel at the time that, and having 10 years in business that others might not be able to do, but I can go do that and have success doing it, but then can everybody else do it? So you want to do things in your business that are repeatable, that are uh, that someone can learn, 
and then also teach others to learn behind you. So a lot of times people are trying to like flaunt and flex and say like how special I am. I'm doing it this way. I'm so special. I'm doing that's actually hurting your business guys, because you're saying I'm so special. Only I can do it. And then you're taking the morale, you're taking the, the mindset out of the business and the people working with you, because if they think only you can do it, then why will they try? So you, your main goal is to create a, a hopeful mindset and a faithful mindset that the future is going to be better for anybody and that anybody can do it. So really you want to have the mentality that if Homer Simpson can do it, everybody can do it. Meaning if I can teach somebody that's not really trying you know, basic strategies, basically. So we're trying to teach people how to start conversations, move through a conversation, explain the model and then close conversations. So we teach a lot of communication and then, um, also just social media marketing as well. And then, I mean, some people are doing traditional marketing strategies, but we teach about 20, 30 different ways people can engage in conversations with agents, you know, from basic ones, like in the deals, another agent, working agent signs in the local market, all the way up to national events, local events and things like that. So it's really, everybody's got their own pain uh, tolerance level. Some will cold call, some won't, some will put their face on social media, some won't. And it's your job as a leader to identify and be a, a gear shifter and not have a one speed leader, meaning working with everybody the same, but identifying who your partners and your leaders are and helping them get, get the most out of what they can do. Because let's say Susan will never go on YouTube, but she'll sit at home on a on a phone and cold call all day and you're pushing her to YouTube. You're not understanding how to get the most out of what your partners can do. So it's our job to look inside our partners and find out who they are, what makes them go, what, you know, how much, how many hours a week do they have to work? How much money do they have to put in their business and helping them come, come together to create a vision that they can see that they can achieve because if they can't see something in their mind that they believe will actually work, they won't work and their energy won't show up in their body and they'll procrastinate, they'll self-sabotage and they just won't, won't ever pull it through the finish line. You mentioned earlier that you're not the vlogger because you're just cranking away in, in your, your one spot. And that, that resonates pretty deeply with me. What, what would your pieces of advice be for those of us that, that we don't need to move that much during the day because we just like to crank it out? So how do you think about content when, when you're not going to have all the fancy car pictures and, you know, the beautiful girls coming around you every two seconds to take a different angle picture? And Yeah, I mean, that stuff... So like, if you want to get attention, you do things that can't be faked. So like you can fake, fake cash, like at a table, you can fake a Lamborghini, you can lease one. I would say, try to go out there and do things that you can't fake like destinations, like, you know, go on like really cool vacations and things like that. Because people know that does take money. Um, when you get on stage and speak on stage at a big event that can't be faked. So start thinking about things that create credibility that would not be able to be faked. A lot of people are trying to fake it till they make it, I guess is kind of the saying. But, um, I'm just a big believer in, uh, so I, I grinded forever behind the scenes to have the success publicly that people see. And that's the credibility that they kind of follow me from. So if you, the mass, the most highest form of, of credibility is actual success itself. And so, you know, being, especially a public trade company, I, people can look me up and they realize that's what I've done. But when I tried certain things like that in the past, you don't know who you're following. You don't know if they're real or not. And it's a gamble for people to follow someone these days, because what if they're looking at someone that's never done anything, but they're acting like they've taken over the world and then they're just regurgitating someone else's information, but not teaching it the right way. For example, like you hear all these people out there on the internet talking about multiple streams of income. This is a way to increase your income kind of if they're all positive, but really what multiple streams of income is for is it's an insurance policy. So it's not a way to increase your income unless they're all increasing the income. So let's say you had a billion income streams. They all make $1 a piece. You just made a billion dollars. 
but you could also have a single income stream that makes a billion dollars on, on its own, but it's the same net income, but you have a billion separate income streams in comparison. But what happens if you have a billion income streams that lose a dollar? So MSI has nothing to do with your income, kind of in a way, obviously they're all profitable, but it's really the insurance policy. If you had that one big one, that was a billion, that was your only income stream. What if it went away? So you should have at least three income streams, you know, so if you lose one, you still have two giving you time to get back to three, four, and five, because when you have a single income stream, what this does is it creates stress, emotional, um, thought occupation, meaning fear that it goes away, you know, struggling to get this. But like, if you have two or three, you don't have so much fear if a business is struggling because you can lean on the other ones and have time to go out there and create more. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question there. I kind of went off on the tangent. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, so three is good, but at the same point, like not, not to diverge from the earlier part of the conversation, which is you got to build one at a time, right? You got to build them right. You got to get to them to a certain level before you move on. Otherwise you could have three streams that all fall apart. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I would say um, it's possible to scale multiple streams of income at the same time if they're within the same niche. So what I did in the beginning, which was I was trying to scale multiple streams of income. I was doing insurance. I was trying to start at wholesaling houses. I was trying to do like affiliate marketing businesses. I was trying to create funnels. I was trying to do all this all at once. That's not the best way to do, to, to build multiple streams of income. What you need to do instead of being in like insurance and having a, a restaurant and doing real estate is create multiple streams of income within the real estate space. So I'm going to be an investor but I'm also going to get a real estate license and have a, you know, do production. I'm also going to build a real estate team. I'm going to build a, a home study course around the real estate business. So as long as you're staying in the same focused information, the same, you know, kind of arena, your mind's not going to get so spread thin. But if you start to try to do some pretty distinct things that are separate from each other, it's the, the ability to focus once they start picking up and problems start picking up is impossible. So if you're going to, I would, I would try to start out with one main income stream that's active and then think of one main income stream that's residual. So, you know, like say you're flipping houses and then keeping rental properties or at eXp, you're selling houses and you're building your revenue share team. So you need, it's always a, com, it's always a process of active to passive, active to passive. You're trading your time today to, to go out there and create transactional income to keep your life going forward, but you're trying to create disposable income, what's left over after taxes and all your bills and, ex, and expenses that you can invest and keep into a residual income stream that will eventually set you free. So you don't have to work for active income later. But, um, I think picking one really good one that has a strong long-term result in it, meaning you've seen a lot of people over the career have success doing what you're trying to do and choosing that vehicle. And just knowing that it's, if that many people have achieved success in it, that you can do it too. And just staying in that lane as, as long as you can and not getting distracted because as you're building a business, you bring a lot of people into your life they all have other opportunities and, and it's, it's, it's easy to get distracted, chase that shiny squirrel. So just stay focused until you get your first business up, get, you know, get a decent working residual income on the side that you can fall back on and then start taking bigger risks and going after passion projects and, you know, higher, you know, much higher risk businesses that have, you know, something that could scale to like eight figures and up pretty quickly, but you may have a chance of like, you know, losing a quarter million, like really quick or half a million getting off the ground. Um, it's kind of my, kind of my take on keep it in the same industry, find one good one that's active and focus on a long-term residual income strategy. Love it. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? Say that one more time. What is your the goal for 18, for your life and 18 months? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get, so by the end of the year, I want to get to 3,200 agents. So by the end of next year, we should probably get to, it is be close, uh, depending on how the market is, but like, 
I'd say 4,500 agents is a good goal for by the end of next year. But uh, it's possible that we could get to 5,000. There is some attrition in the marketplace. You guys look at the numbers. People are coming out. Like a lot of people, there's a lot of licenses that came into industry during the pandemic where people had lost their nine to five jobs and things like that. And they were stuck at home trying to figure out what they're going to do. And you could take an online real estate course. And I think a lot of people uh, got licenses that were never going to stick it through. And that happens normally in a normal market, but there was kind of an artificially charged climate where you had a big influx of licenses. So we had a, a lot of companies grew really quick. And now you're seeing just the overall tough market that we're in. And then also a lot of those agents never intended to go full time. You're seeing a lot of those licenses turn off right now because a lot of companies, they don't want to pay monthly fees and they're trying to figure out how to get back to a job. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, Connor, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business. Uh, for those of you out there listening, there's so much in this, like, it's going to take me a while to unpack. In fact, I'm trying not to like disengage and go into my thoughts. Like, like when you watch YouTube videos, sometimes like when it's a really good video, you're like, man, I got to think about this, but I can't because I'm podcasting here. Maybe you're doing the same, right? Down something you learned, share it with somebody you knows so they can hold you accountable. And we talked about scaling in all sorts of ways. We talked about sales and there was a lot of nuggets in sales that could make somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars. Whatever it is that you took away, write it down, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. This room's require one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know you too, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. Catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 